Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the College Hoops Daily Podcast. My name is Zach Kroll. I'm your host. And this is where we will be talking college basketball, all things about it from now until the end of the season, the final four. And it's crazy because every college basketball season really leading up to it when you're getting ready, one of the first signs you see that makes you realize like, okay, wow, the season, it's going to be starting pretty soon is exhibition games and the results of them. And the theme for this podcast today, we are going to look at some of the results in this game as a lot of teams uh, in college basketball hit the floor with the season starting in just about one week. It's crazy uh, that it's going to be here that soon. But we're going to be looking at some of these results, talking a little bit about them. But it's important to realize we have to take these results with a little bit of a grain of salt. There could be some things about these teams playing in these games that could have impacted these results in a big way that we're not sure about, whether it's guys not playing due to injuries, due to rest, just being held out. Uh, there are a lot of things about these games that we don't know. Also, it's important to remember, they don't even count for anything. So maybe some of these coaches were just experimenting with different things. But even though there are a lot of question marks, these games still did happen. And there are some key takeaways to talk about. There are some things to talk about. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing today. But I'm not going to be doing it alone. My guy, Aaron Torres, will join me again. Aaron and I have done this a couple times now here on the College Hoops Daily Podcast, talking all things college basketball uh, leading up to the start of the season. But AT, happy to have you with me, my guy. And uh, with the season starting in just about a week, what were uh, some of the things from the action this past weekend that stood out to you? Well, first of all, man, thank you for having me. We launched this last week, was really happy with you know, one, your first episode. I, I do hope to be a periodic guest, but you're going to be taking this thing uh, over pretty soon solo, which is incredible that we're already at the start of the season, but uh, glad to be back. Um, and yeah, I think exactly what you just said is a thousand percent accurate. We want to be fair to teams that won. We don't want to get too excited about the teams that won. We don't want to get too upset about the teams that lost, but I will say, I do think there is one place that we do have to start, uh, and this is your show, but I don't mean to hijack your show, but there's one that I think we have to start with, and it's one that I don't think you can use the excuse of, well, this guy was hurt, or this guy was that, or this guy was that. It was the public debut of Kenny Payne at Louisville. Now, Louisville fans think I hate them because I, I wrote the Kentucky book many years ago, but Zach, I know you have the details, but they lost to a D2 team that wasn't even very good last year. And, uh, you know, listen, I, I'm a, I'm a Kenny Payne guy. I'm a believer. 
but I think this is going to be a process and uh, you take it from here. But I, I, to me, that feels like the biggest result from the weekend, even bigger, by the way, than Tennessee taking care of Gonzaga, which you and I were texting about privately on Friday night. So, yeah, and we're going to get into that game a little later. We're also going to get into the Creighton Blue Jays. They are a team that both of us are really high on. They were on the floor this weekend and we have some things to talk about with them. But you mentioned it, dude, Louisville. They took the floor against D2 Lenore Rhyme. And they not only lost, they lose by 10 points, 57 to 47, a 10 point loss. And wow, there are so many things, so many concerns with this result from the Louisville perspective. And AT, the first thing I'll say is this, like the downfall of Louisville basketball, it's all happened really quickly because if you remember, uh, when Chris Mack was still the coach three, four years ago, they had things rolling. They were the number one team in the country at one point with Jordan Nora and all those guys. I remember them beating uh, or they were the number one ranked team at, at Madison Square Garden against Texas Tech. And it's just really fallen apart very quickly. And it was pretty evident to me last year that, OK, a change needs to be made. I like Chris Mack as a head coach. I think he was really good at Xavier. I think sometime in his coaching future, he'll probably be given another chance. And I think he'll be able to take advantage of it. But it was pretty clear. The writing was on the wall. Louisville needed a change. And they decided to bring in former Kentucky assistant. He was uh, with the Knicks at the time in the NBA, Kenny Payne. And when Louisville made this hire, the first thing that came to mind for me was, wow, okay, the overall level of talent for this Cardinal team is just going to be elevated in a big time way, because I think that was one of the major problems with Louisville towards the back end of the Chris Mack era is you would be watching them, or at least I would, and I'd be wondering why is Louisville starting point guard, a transfer from Marshall. They were just going after all these mid-major players and recruits that are decent, but just not really good enough uh, to live up to that Louisville standard. And things really fell apart for this team last year. And I thought, okay, Kenny Payne coming in. The one thing we know he'll be able to do is bring in talent. And I'm not going to lie, this offseason, that's been my number one disappointment for, for Louisville. I know this team wasn't very good last year, but they're bringing back some holdovers from last year's team. L. Ellis is the one guy that I really like, a dynamic guard that could create and make plays. They also add Brandon Huntley Hatfield from the transfer portal from Tennessee, a guy that was a former top 25 recruit out of high school. But besides that, there's not a lot here. And I'm just disappointed, really, with the overall level of talent on this Louisville roster, even though I understand it's only year one, Payne will still have plenty of time, but still, what is this? And while you're surprised by the result, you can't be completely shocked because it's Louisville. So lots of people back there. One, a uh, couple things. One, I agree just even dating back to the Chris Mack stuff. It, it felt like he never really had a recruiting philosophy. I mean, early on, for, he, first of all, he went after a bunch of like five-star high-level players uh, and and struck out on them. Uh, Caleb Love, I know, I think he they, he was in their final two or three. Devin Askew, who maybe it was for the best that they didn't end up getting him. But, you know, they, they, they went after those guys. Then they went after the developmental guys, most of which have since left the program. They were deemed as mid-major players coming out. They're now at mid-major schools. Then, as you said, Chris Mack tried to hit the transfer portal. It didn't really work out. And so it was just, a. It, I'm with you. I thought Chris Mack was going to be awesome. It didn't work out. Um, but I'm also with you about the Kenny Payne stuff. And, and, you know, Kenny Payne, obviously a guy that knows Louisville really well, but also a guy that knows the recruiting space really well. And um, I don't know exactly. I'll be blunt. I don't know exactly what happened. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw this, Zach, but probably about a month ago, he had a, some kind of, um, you know, public event where he talked about other schools 
uh, negative recruiting against him as if it was some big surprise. But what you said is right, man, is they weren't very talented last year. And then in the portal world, I felt like he would be able to make moves and he really didn't. As you said, Brandon Huntley Hatfield from Tennessee was really the only impact guy. And by the way, I, I would add this too, for people who are new to you or new to me, I think you and I are, we pay as much attention to the portal as anybody. You help me run the college hoops transfers uh, website. So you're in this every day. I'm in it every day in March, April, May. And so that, that really is what stood out to me is, is that they didn't have very much talent. They actually lost a couple interesting players, Dre Davis, who's now at Seton Hall and a couple others. And then, oh, by the way, they didn't really add anyone of significance either. I'll, I'll give you a quick uh, side thing, and then I'll toss it back to you. In a lot of ways, this actually reminds me of a guy that was just fired in football at Auburn. I'm not saying Brian Hart, uh, uh, um, Kenny Payne needs to be fired after one exhibition game, but Brian Harson lost a bunch in the portal, didn't replace it with anybody in the portal, and that's why he's not the Auburn head coach anymore because he just didn't have enough talent. I trust Kenny Payne. I think he needs time. But in the transfer portal world, we all know you don't get three, four, five years. Uh, Eric Musselman made a uh, Elite Eight in year two. Uh, Juwan Howard made an Elite Eight in year two. Nate Oates made a Sweet 16 in year two. And so there's plenty of time. Nobody needs to make sweeping judgments about Kenny Payne, but it starts with players. It starts with the dudes on the floor. And I think it's going to be a long year. I just don't think they have, they, I just don't think they have good enough players. I mean, good enough players to, to compete with Kentucky in their rivalry game. And then more importantly, in the ACC, once league play tips off. I think that's a really good point you brought up in terms of not really having. Uh, big excuses for not being able to turn it around really quickly. The first uh, team that comes to mind for me, uh, you didn't mention them, was Iowa State this past year. Two years ago, they won two games, and TJ Otzelberger comes in, does some work in the portal, and all of a sudden they are in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament, and that's Iowa State. If you're a Louisville, I'm not saying I'm expecting you to be in the Sweet 16 in Kenny Payne's first year, but the roster you're bringing in, especially at Louisville, especially in this era uh, of the transfer portal, it has to be better. And the fact that you lost to a D2 school by 10 points, again, it's an exhibition game. As you said, I don't think Kenny Payne should be fired or anything after just one game. But I feel like people's opinions going into this season on Louisville are a little mixed. I would say I'm a little, I was at least before seeing this result, a little bit higher on them compared to most people, just because they do have some talent. And I really like this kid, L. Ellis. He had a few moments last year that really stood out for me that made me say, like, wow, if this team could just surround this kid with a couple more talented pieces, he could be really good. And I do give uh, Kenny Payne credit for allowing him to stay. Like, that's another thing with uh, these new coaches in this new world of college basketball is that I think they deserve credit when they come in and they're able to convince some of their better players that they inherited uh, that are already there, like we saw with Arizona last year. Yeah, the other one that comes to mind with that is um, Nate Oates. I mean, you know, they went, they won the SEC because of players that Avery Johnson already left him in the program. But Nate Oates' best recruiting to date was convincing Kyra Lewis, John Petty. I know Kyra Lewis wasn't on the title team, but John Petty. Uh, was Kyra Lewis? Was Kyra Lewis on this? No, no, no. Herb Jones. Herb Jones was. Uh, so he basically, those three were in the portal, or at least I know for a fact Petty and um, Kyra Lewis were. And Nate Oates convinced him to come back and Kyra Lewis left, but the other two were part of an SEC title team. So yeah, I, I think that's part of it, but man, I, it's just, it's going to be a long season. And I, it, the other thing too, which I know you and I have talked about, but the ACC is going to be much better this year. Like, like last year you finished in, I think 
I think they finished 14th out of 15 teams in a bad ACC. Well, now North Carolina is obviously going to be better. Duke's going to be really good. Uh, who else we got here? Notre Dame returns a lot. Virginia, uh, Tech, Miami. Virginia Tech, Miami, Virginia returns everybody. That's a scary. Last year was the year like, okay, if it bottoms out, you should still finish in, in seventh or eighth of this league and maybe make the NIT. I, I don't mean to crush Louisville here to start the show, but I do think um, it's going to be a long season for them. Yeah. And w- one last thing on them to close last year, it was super disappointing. I remember actually being uh, in Brooklyn for the ACC tournament and they played on that first day against Georgia tech and the vibes around the team could not be any more. I don't even want to say worse, but it was just so dull. Like I, I, I uh, remember talking to some of their fans that were there too. And they were just saying, man, we want this season to be over in the worst way possible. And you didn't blame them considering Chris Mack was fired uh, midway through the season. It was kind of clear from pretty early on that last year's team was going nowhere, but you think with a new coach, especially like Kenny Payne, a guy that comes from the other side of their rivalry with Kentucky, you're expecting some sparks. And even though he did do a little bit, just not enough. That's really the one theme I've noticed uh, throughout this whole conversation with Louisville is we just expected them to do more uh, in the transfer portal in recruiting. And just when it comes to their overall roster this year. Thousand percent, thousand percent. And, you know, you being there in Brooklyn, I'm not surprised. And I will say, like, I know, I know it's like the most cliche thing that every fan does when a new coach gets off to a bad start. You just blame the old guy. But I do think that is part of it. I mean, there, there was, just, there wasn't talent to re recruit on this team. And now Kenny Payne, like I said, they, 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 there wasn't talent to bring back in the first place. Um, and you lose a couple key players. And the part that is on Kenny Payne is not doing a better job in the portal. But yeah, you lose to a bad D2 team to open things up. We'll see. They do have some interesting freshmen, but you know, they're not the kind of freshmen that are going to just take over college basketball. It's going to be a two, three year process. So we'll see. I trust Kenny Payne, but I'm just not sold. Uh, uh I, I, it's just disappointing that he couldn't do a little bit more this offseason. Okay, moving on to the next game. And this is an interesting one featuring one of the teams actually we spoke about last week, Arkansas. They were able to take the floor for the first time uh, against Texas. And they, this was a surprising result. They lose 90 to 60 again. I'll say it. I'll say it. It's important to realize some of these results might come without a little bit of context. There could be certain players on a team that weren't playing, certain strategies a coach just wasn't using. So again, it's important to take these results with a little bit of a grain of salt while also looking at it and saying, okay, what could this mean possibly for the future? But Arkansas plays Texas, and they lose 90-60. to And this is from uh, Jeff Goodman at Stadium. He says uh, Texas's best players were freshman Artario Morris and Timmy Allen. Texas also had five players score in double figures. And for Arkansas, freshman Nick Smith and Jordan Walsh looked good. They had solid second halves. So, A.T., we spoke a lot about last week with Arkansas this is a team uh, under head coach Eric Musselman. Historically, his teams, they've started off a little slow, and that makes sense considering usually he has a ton of new players. But when I look at that result, one thing that stands out to me is I look at the other side, Texas, and I know a bunch of people have them ranked in the top 15, in the top 20. Chris Beard brought in a ton of talent again this offseason, but Texas really struggled with their chemistry last year. That was a big issue, and uh, I would say other people are a little bit – higher on this Texas team than I am. And when I see that result, 90 to 60, I think it's easy to look at that from Arkansas's perspective and say, wow, like, how does that even happen? But really, when I see that score, it's like, wow, okay, Texas might be a little bit better than we thought. 
Yeah, and we can talk about the Arkansas perspective in a minute. I was actually going to ask you which you thought if maybe Texas is a, is better than you thought or Arkansas is worse. But since you went there anyway, I'm in agreement. I, I was a little, uh, you know, bit of a seller on Texas. I mean, they return a lot of players from last year's team that just frankly didn't. They weren't bad, but they were. You know, I, I think the stat was they never won more than three games in a row once league play started. So, you know, they, they go to the tournament, they win a game, but we all had bigger expectations, including myself with all the transfers that Chris Beard brought in last year. So one, give them credit. Beard retained a lot of the guys. What stood out to me is two things is one, Chris Beard has been hyping up this, this transfer from New Mexico state named, uh, Sir Jabari Rice, I believe is his name. And he was phenomenal, you know, and, and, you know, we talk about transfers from the, the, you know, power five in football, power six in basketball. We talk about the guys that are going to Duke or Kentucky or Arkansas or Carolina or wherever. And Beard was like adamant all offseason. Like this guy is a guy that we targeted from the beginning. We wanted, he had a really good game. And then Artario Morris, who you mentioned had a really good game as well. And that's interesting to me because. Arterio Morris was arrested over the offseason, was indefinitely suspended, and I don't mean to make light of a legal situation, but I had not seen anything that made me believe that he was even with the team in the lead-up to, to that game. And so for him to be the best player on the floor, it speaks to what kind of talent he is. For people who don't know, he was a McDonald's All-American last year, top 20 prospect, all that. I didn't even know he was with the team. He obviously played really well. And I know we're going to talk about Arkansas in a minute, but I'll say this. It does make me reevaluate a little bit uh, maybe my expectations for Texas coming into the year. By the way, I, I do think the Big 12 is already the best conference in college basketball. And if Texas is as good as they may have looked on Saturday, that's another scary team out of that league. Yeah, man, it's crazy because I don't want to fall down that Texas trap. I have many times before in the preseason, you're looking at their roster and you're saying to yourself, wow, this team is loaded. This team is going to be unreal, but it just hasn't necessarily translated to wins on the floor. And I do think there were some times last year where they looked really good. They looked like for maybe five minutes, the team that a lot of people expected in the preseason. And also the overall level of talent on this team is much better than it was last year. I feel like last year they did add a ton of transfers we really liked but maybe we over uh, valued a little bit just how good they really were but when you look at this team now Tyrese Hunter is going to be playing in the NBA he was one of the best freshmen in college basketball last season they bring back Marcus Carr they bring back Timmy Allen and Christian Bishop they also add two really good freshmen Morris and uh, Dylan Mitchell and Sir, Sir Jabari Rice like if he's as good as everyone is saying he is I think that's going to be possibly an X factor for this Texas team, because I don't really remember having or Texas having a guy, just a pure shooter that could sh shoot and make maybe three, four threes a game. I think that's something that could really help them down the line. And I think it depends on Chris Beard because there was a point when he was at Texas tech, when he's bringing them to the elite eight and the national championship game in back-to-back -back years, when I was ready to crown him as mm -hmm. a top three, maybe even better coach in this sport and I'm not saying that he's done a bad job since then he's brought Texas Tech to the tournament multiple times he's brought our uh, Texas to the tournament last year but I was just expecting a little more and I think with this roster it's probably the best roster Chris Beard has ever had is he going to be able to take advantage of it well yeah it's funny because you know ironically I think there's some parallels from my perspective with this Arkansas team right is like people we talked about Arkansas on the introductory show and, you know, people say, how can you have them so high 11 new players? I said, well, 
I mean, Muss has made back-to-back Elite Eights. You know, the past four NCAA tournaments that have been played, he's made the, the second weekend three times. And this is the most talented roster that he had. He, he's had. And so I expect him to figure it out. I bring it up because that was my thought on Chris Beard going into last year is, you know, new new program, new roster, whatever. But Chris Beard's another one that's very comfortable with bringing in new players and flipping rosters from his days as a JUCO coach and all that. Um, and it was his most talented roster last year. Now, it didn't work, but maybe it just takes time. And, and listen, I'll say this act too. I think part something that we have to acknowledge is all those guys that came back, um, Timmy Allen, Christian Bishop, Dylan Disu, whatever, Marcus Carr, one, a lot of them have exhausted their college eligibility but have an extra year, could have gone pro, made money somewhere. Now I'm sure they're getting taken care of in NIL. I'm sure they're not, you know, not I'm sure they're okay financially, but I, I just bring it up because they also it we live in a one-time transfer world. And if it was total chaos. And if it was miserable, they could have gone somewhere else. They could have played another year of college basketball somewhere else. And so the fact that they all chose to come back, that probably does speak to the fact that maybe they were a little bit closer last year to breaking through than than guys like myself gave them credit for. I think that's important to note. All those guys do come back. That probably is a sign that they trust in the coach, trust in the coaching staff that recruited them to Austin a year ago. Yeah, and I think the interesting dynamic is it's good to have those guys coming back, returning. Uh, but when Chris Beard added Tyrese Hunter, one of probably uh, the best transfer available in the offseason, the one thing he was saying, harping on to everyone was, okay, this is going to give us the opportunity to move Marcus Carr off the ball. Tyrese will have it in his hands, and hopefully that will be able to free up a little bit more scoring. And when they add Tyrese Hunter, when they add Dylan Mitchell, a top 10 freshman that probably does have realistic aspirations of playing in the NBA pretty soon. Same thing with uh, Arterio Morris. I'm just really curious to see how the chemistry of this team is going to look because they have a ton of players uh, with Rice. Brock Cunningham, a guy that has played a lot of minutes for Texas over the past few years, very valuable, does a lot of the little things really well. I'm really curious to see how Chris Beard really organizes things because I think that's going to be the key to this Texas team. Now, it's really good to see that five different guys were scoring in double figures. If this team could learn to play a little bit a little bit more unselfish, spread out the ball, I think that could be one thing that really helps them. Really quick, how concerned are you on a scale of 1 to 10 to Arkansas? I'll just say this really quick, and I'll, I'll toss it back to you. Um, you know, he I, I've listened to Coach Muss in his press conferences, and he's harped, like, we're really young. Um, they went to Europe, they played four games this, this summer. And the stat that I saw, they averaged 23 turnovers in those games and they still found a way to win all those games. And so I, I, I don't, I, I haven't talked to coach Moss or anybody over there since, you know, for a while, but I get the sense that I, I don't know that they're that surprised. Like, I think this is one where, and it, you know, I, it was interesting because I saw Kenny Payne say this, he said, we needed this, this butt whooping to kind of re reconfigure ourselves and people are going to say, Oh, Torres, you're making excuses for Arkansas. I'm not making excuses for Arkansas. I'm just saying is that they turnovers turnovers have been a problem since this team got together, which by the way, tends to happen. 11 new players, two freshmen potentially starting in the backcourt, depending on what happens with Devo Davis. It's going to take time. Just like we talked about on the Arkansas preview. But what I would say is 23 to 30 point loss, uh, not good. Um, but this is why you play exhibitions against good teams in the preseason to evaluate yourself against other good teams and work on your deficiencies. And so uh, I, I don't know that this changes all that much for me for Arkansas, 
but I'm curious from your perspective, if, if this changes how you feel about them uh, heading into the season. So it's interesting. I actually saw uh, Jeff Goodman on Twitter today, make a pretty interesting point about how there are a lot of teams around the country right now in a similar position to Arkansas, not exactly the same because of all the new players they have, but he's spoken to a lot of coaches that have just said like, we just need some more time. Our chemistry is not there right now. And he actually thought that maybe that could be a reason why the first night or two of the college basketball season, there aren't a ton of big time matchups just because a lot of these coaches really want to ease their team in and get them ready against some lower level competition opposed to playing some of the big boys right away. But I agree with you. I'm not totally concerned uh, about Arkansas, especially after I heard you say that you don't even think the staff themselves are that surprised uh, with this start just because they have a ton of new players and a lot of them are really young too. It takes uh, some time to adjust to the physicality of the college game and Arkansas might take some lumps. I mean, this team lost to Hofstra at, or not Great at call. home at Bud Walton, but in the state of Arkansas, they lost to, uh, to Hofstra last year. They got blown out by Oklahoma, run off the floor. That was a Sooner team that didn't even make the NCAA tournament. So I think at this point, we know that Arkansas, it's very possible for them to take a few lumps here and there, especially early in the season. But when we get to February and March, the most important times of the year, they should be good right, uh, right in the conversation, especially with a, a very talented roster that they have. Yeah, if this was February 1st, obviously it would be a lot different than it being November 1st. And I think that the last thing we can move on to whatever is it's a good point by you is that 11 new players match that with Texas, which has at least five major contributors off an NCAA tournament team back. And so uh, you, you, we could talk about youth, but we can also just talk about a, a group in Arkansas that hasn't been together. I know people that aren't Arkansas fans are going to think I'm making excuses for them. I'm just saying, uh, I, by the way, they play in Maui uh, first, second week of the year. So we're going to find out about them pretty quick. But I, I don't know that I'm sounding alarms just yet. OK, moving on to another team in the SEC. And this result, I know you want to talk about these guys. You've been hyping these guys up since the day the season ended last year. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because with Arkansas, they're an SEC team. Their result was a little bit surprising to some. And we have another SEC team that. Played, a, uh, played a big-time opponent in an exhibition game this weekend, and the result was opposite. They pulled the upset. Tennessee, who's ranked number 11 in the AP Top 25 poll right now, they beat Gonzaga number 2, 99-80 to 80 by 19 points. Uh, Tennessee did not have Josiah Jordan-James in this game. He's expected to start. He's been in the program for three years, one of the leaders of the Vols for this season. And, AT, I'll start with you – or I'll start this one off, actually, because it's crazy – Tennessee last year, they lose in the NCAA tournament to Michigan, and that loss in the round of 32. It was very disappointing because Tennessee was fresh off an SEC tournament championship, and it really felt for the first time in a while like, okay, the sky's the limit with this Tennessee team. We know that Rick Barnes in his coaching career has had some struggles in the NCAA tournament, but they're a three-seed uh Last year was the year. A lot of people thought that the Vols could make their first Final Four in program history, but unfortunately it doesn't happen. But I look at the roster this year and the changes that they made, and I like where this team is right now. Zakai Ziegler, his second year in the program, he's going to move in to that lead guard role. One thing that I saw from uh, watching a little bit 
on Friday night. Tennessee's ball movement was very crisp. It was very impressive to see. Everyone looked like they were on the same page. And when you have Ziggler, you have Santiago Viscovi, one of the more underrated players in college basketball coming back. I know Josiah didn't play, but you have him. Tyreek Key, the transfer from Indiana State, who he didn't play last year. He sat out a full season. So this was his first in-game action since 2021 in the Missouri Valley. He looked really good. He scores over 20 points. There are a lot of pieces on this Tennessee team that is making me really excited for the season. And I know it's an exhibition game. We have to take these results with a little bit of a grain of salt. But beating Gonzaga, who's been probably the best program in the sport, over the last four or five years, this has to be at least an eye-opener uh, for p- the people in the SEC and the people uh, in Knoxville. It, it was for me, and you know, and I think it, it's the gift and the curse of college hoops, right, is that we folk – it's a tournament sport. America tunes in uh, for March Madness, and you don't you, – you, it's not always a totality of the season kind of thing. Now, every sport is determined by champions, right? But – with college basketball, it does feel like if you don't have success in March, nothing that you did before matters. And so I, I said this on Friday, and of course I got killed for it, but you know, Tennessee was the hottest team in college basketball to end last season. Now people are like, oh, well, I thought Kansas was. They won the championship. And it's like, yeah, they were, but Tennessee was awesome for like the last month of the season. I remember them beating Arkansas in Knoxville, Kentucky in Knoxville, and then they just rolled into the SEC tournament. They beat uh, Kentucky in the SEC tournament. They beat a red-hot Texas A&M team to win the championship. But because they had that disappointment, uh, you know, one, just not enough people got to see how awesome they were. But then, two, it, it's this cloud that has hung over them. So I, I, I joked about it, but I know you were a little higher on them coming into the season than maybe the polls would indicate. I know that I am, and it's it, it's for what we kind of just talked about with Arkansas-Texas. They return a ton of guys that have had success at this level. Now, Kennedy Chandler was really good late in the year last year, but as you said, Tyree Key is a guy, I almost said Tyree Kill. That'd be a, that'd be a cool addition for Tennessee fo- uh, basketball if they signed Tyree Kill in the offseason. But um, Tyree Key, I think he's going to replace some of that production, but it's more about the guys that are coming back. And so uh, Euros is awesome. Uh, Zakai Ziegler is awesome. The fact that they didn't have Triple J, uh, Josiah Jordan-James, I think it's nothing but a good sign. I think they pick up right where they left off. And and there's a few teams that I think are probably a little bit undervalued coming into college basketball. I think Tennessee is one of them, but we'll be curious if they're still undervalued after they took care of Gonzaga the other night. Yeah, man. Like when I'm looking at this team, one thing that really sticks out to me is two of their five starters that are going to be entering their fourth year in the program. And not uh-huh. only their fourth year in the program, but any Tennessee fan listening to this knows Viscovi and Jos- uh, Josiah Jordan-James, they've been playing big minutes since their freshman year. That was the one rebuild year, their freshman year in 2020, after they made the deep tournament run with Grant Williams, with Schofield. They lose those guys. They weren't a tournament team, but they went actually into Rupp Arena late in that year and beat Kentucky. And they've been building for this year ever since. And Man, it's crazy because I agree with you. Like Tennessee last year, there wasn't a team in the last month of the regular season that was playing better basketball than them, uh, beating a lot of really good opponents in the SEC. And that's the crazy thing about this sport, man. All of the work you do could just come to end, come to an end so quickly in the NCAA tournament if you just have one off game. But I just think the pieces on this team fit together much nicely, especially compared to last year. I was pretty high 
on Tennessee going into last year, but then all of a sudden the season starts and a guy that most people expected to be in their starting lineup and one of their major contributors, Justin Powell, he just wasn't uh, out there to start and Rick Barnes didn't really trust him. And that never really changed throughout the season. He was never able to get going. Victor Bailey was playing a ton of minutes early on in the season. And by mid-February, he's just out of the rotation for good. I liked Kennedy Chandler a lot. He belongs in the NBA right now. He had some great flashes as uh, one of the better high school players in the country in the previous class. But I think Zakai Ziegler is going to provide them with a little bit more consistency. He'll be able to manage and run the offense a little bit better. And when I just look at the components this team has, they just have the great mix of talent and experience, and they're well-coached. And I know a lot of people don't trust Rick Barnes, especially in the month of March. And that's going to be something that he needs to get over. But especially in the regular season, there aren't many coaches that I trust more than Rick Barnes, just because he's been doing this for so long and he consistently has shown he gets the job done. Don't disagree. Last note on them too. They do have a really good freshman McDonald's All-American Julian Phillips. And I think, you know, this is almost a perfect situation where he's really good. He's their best NBA draft prospect but he's got so many veterans around him to kind of keep him in line. He had a good game against Gonzaga too. He's one I'm excited about was committed to uh, LSU and our boy, Will Wade, uh, Will Wade obviously got let go. He hits, uh, you know, he's obviously let out of his letter of intent ends up at Tennessee. I know Tennessee fans are really excited about him, but I think he's a guy that adds another dimension to that team. Um, And I, I just think they're going to be really good. And then, like you said, I think the thing about Barnes, too, he's another one. You know, people talk about Calipari, the way Calipari recruits, Musselman, the way Musselman recruits. Rick Barnes always, you know, he never goes goes into a season without dudes that can compete at the highest level. So I think that's a really good team. And because of the veteran pieces, they're going to be good again all regular season. But again, and I get it, this is part of the deal. Um, you know, if they if they don't get it done in March, and it sounds so stupid to be talking about March when it, the season hasn't even started yet, but for a guy like Rick Barnes, he's done everything else. He's won an SEC regular season title. He obviously won the tournament title last year, and now it's about can you take that team uh, even further than that Grant Williams team, which went to a Sweet 16 a few years ago. All right, moving on to our last team we will be hitting on that uh, was in action this weekend, the Creighton Blue Jays. Now, this is a team, they're a little bit controversial because they are ranked in the top 10 of the AP poll, and a lot of people are confused by it. They'll see that and say, this team was a number eight seed last year. They lost in the round, or they, yeah, they lost in the round of 32 to Kansas, and they barely beat San Diego State in their opening round game of the NCAA tournament, but they were on the floor this past weekend against Drury College. They win that game 109-57. No, uh, no major uh, takeaways from the score. Creighton blows them out like you expect them to do so, but this Blue Jay team, man, they're, in for me, this in the same category as Tennessee, just one of the teams I'm really looking forward to watching this season. And in the Big East, Jay Wright from Villanova, he retires. And I think this could be a real changing of the guard type year in the Big East when it comes to Creighton, because even towards the back end of last year, they were just playing so well. They were winning some games, especially in the Big East tournament at uh, MSG, that not a lot of people really expected them to win. And this is a team that some people are high on. Some people are pretty low on them. A lot of people are wondering if they deserve to be in the, the top 10. And when I look at this Creighton team, I'm all in. So I'm ready to get into them. Uh, when you see that score from last night, are you surprised? And uh, what else stood out for, for you watching Creighton last night? Well, am I surprised? You know, let, let's just get into Creighton because they're number nine in the country in the AP poll. Um, and they're, I feel like, the most divisive 
are, I think they're a pretty divisive, good team in college basketball where for people who listen to my show or know my work, I'm not a huge, I think analytics are important. I don't think they're a be all end all, but the, the analytic people hate them. I just look at a team that I'm just going to lay out their season last year, lost all five starters off a sweet 16 team in the COVID year, you know, the bubble year that, that there was a tournament in a bubble. Lose all five starters. Starting point guard gets hurt like the first week of the season, Sharif Mitchell, out for the year. Season goes on, season goes on, they're up and down, they're starting to play well late. The guy who replaced him as the starting point guard, Ryan Nemhard, gets hurt with about a week left in the regular season, and everybody thinks their season's done. Get hot, go to the Big East tournament, you were at the game, you were at the Big East tournament covering it for Aaron Torres online. Um, where they went on like a 30 to one run or something against Providence get red hot without their top two point guards, get to the Big East tournament final, run out of gas against Nova, get to the NCAA tournament, beat a good San Diego State team in round one. Uh, Then they lose their starting center, Ryan Kalkbrenner, to an injury in round one. And they push Kansas to the wire in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And so to me, I get the value of analytics. But when I look at this team, the analytics people tell me they're not good. My eyes tell me what I saw. I saw them blow out a Providence team that made the Sweet 16 in the Big East tournament without their top two point guards. I saw them beat a San Diego State team in round one. I saw them push Kansas to the wire in round two. And now all those guys are back. Sharif, uh, Sharif Mitchell's healthy. Uh, I, I almost said Sharif O'Neal. I'm getting my names confused, but Sharif Mitchell's healthy. Ryan Nemhart's healthy. Ryan uh, Kalkbrenner, their center, is healthy. They bring back a guy, Arthur Kaluma. That is a name if you're a casual college basketball fan that kind of only watches your team. That dude's a first-round NBA pick. You might not know it yet. He is a first-round NBA pick this coming year. Trey Alexander. The point I'm trying to make, they got three, four NBA players in the future. They have the best center in the Big East, and I hate to say that because I'm a UConn fan and I love Adama Sinogo. They got two established point guards and maybe three because this kid Trey Alexander took over. I, I just love this team, and I didn't – oh, by the way, I didn't mention they have one of the best transfers, Baylor Shireman. I don't need to see an exhibition to know that they're really good. I'm glad you brought up the exhibition. I'm not, I'm not like – discrediting you for but but like they're just such a fascinating team and i just i'm so excited to watch them because they're one i hate to say it the analytics nerds hey listen maybe i look really stupid by the end of the year maybe they're the fifth best team in the big east and they 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 sneak into the ncaa tournament i think they're gonna make the analytics nerds look really stupid analytics are important but they're an important piece they're not a be-all end-all and i think crane's gonna make those guys look really bad this year yeah, I think one thing people forget, and I'm happy you brought it up, is two years ago, or really this started three years ago in 2020 when the season got canceled, Creighton finished in a three-way tie for first place in the Big East, which is something that they hadn't accomplished, and they were really excited about that. And then the next year, they make it to the Sweet 16, and then they lost all five starters from that team going into last year. So with a team of freshmen and without Sharif Mitchell, like you mentioned, their starting point guard gets hurt before the season started. I was expecting a rebuilding year from Creighton last year, and it kind of started that way. But all of a sudden, the month of February comes around. They go into UConn and win. They're uh, racking up win after win after win in the Big East tournament, and this is without uh, Ryan Nembhardt, their starting point guard. So that was really impressive. They do lose some pieces 
Uh, Ryan Hawkins and Alex O'Connell were really important to last year's team. They were big contributors, but I like the way Coach McDermott replaced them, bringing in uh, Baylor Shireman, one of the best transfers on the market from South Dakota State. He led the Jackrabbits to an NCAA tournament appearance last year. And I think you bring him in, and the talent on this team is just absurd. I think you could make a case really – for two players, maybe even more on this Creighton team, to win Big East Player of the Year. I think Paluma is going to be in the conversation. I think Kalkbrunner is going to be in the conversation. And I agree with you. Even though the analytics are a little down on this team, there are certain things that a team will have that the analytics can't see that the people watching and the people really uh, paying attention, they're going to be able to pick on and realize like, okay, this team's going to be really good. And returning talent is one of them. I don't think there were many teams in all of college basketball, honestly, that were playing better down the stretch in March last year than Creighton. And I would have loved to see how that game against Kansas in the round of 32, the same Kansas team that ended up winning the whole thing. If Kansas has, or if Creighton has Kalkbrunner in that game to match up against David McCormick, who knows, maybe that result could go in a different direction. And the fact that this team is bringing just about everyone back to try to make another crack at it and make another run, I'm really looking forward to see what this Creighton team has. I'm excited. Yeah, they, they looked really good this this um, you know this week. And I just think, and you know, the other thing too is one, it is funny that the the analytics people they they hate a team that returns four starters off a team that made the round of 32, but they love a team that has, you know, four new starters that have never played there or five new starters that have never played there or whatever. So I don't get it. Um, but two, I think the other important part is what do coaches always say? The biggest jump you make is from your freshman year to your sophomore year. Um, the cliche is the best thing about freshmen is they become sophomores. They have three really good sophomores that really got thrown into the fire last year. And I, and I think exceeded expectations. Like I can tell you, I, I don't know that Creighton thought they were a tournament team at this time last year because they were throwing three freshmen right into the fire. Again, Arthur Kaluma, um, you know, uh, 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 Ryan, Ryan Nemhard and Trey Alexander. And so all those guys get experienced. They're all coming back. And then, as you said, too, the big East is wide open, right? Like, Villanova, you know, I think you and me and some of the other guys might do some quick write-ups, but Villanova's one, they're probably a little bit overrated coming into this year. I get all the culture stuff, but new head coach, their most talented player, Cam Whitmore, is hurt right now. We don't know when he's going to be back. Um, their, their, their highest leading scorer, Justin Moore, might not play at all this year. So Villanova, I'm curious about them. I love UConn, but but obviously Dan Hurley will see uh, talent there, but Andre Jackson's out for the year. And I know he'll be back by Thanksgiving, PK 85, all that good stuff. But that's a team that new pieces, new spots, they lose uh, RJ Cole. You go on down the list, Xavier, a team I don't know if we'll, we'll probably don't have a chance to talk about today, but they did not look good at an exhibition this weekend. And we don't have all the details there. Love Sean Miller, but that might take time with a first year head coach. Well, who's the program with the established head coach and so many established players? One is obviously. You know, UConn is, but I think Creighton brings back more established head coach. They're just a really good team. And, and I, I think they're going to honestly, go Creighton ahead. dominated UConn last year. Every time uh, they took the floor, Creighton was the better team. You know, who knows that is UConn <laughs> fans and Creighton fans. Listen, I think the stat is, I don't know if UConn's beaten Creighton since they've returned to the Big East two, three years ago or whatever. So it's a thousand percent true. And so if we're talking, I just, 
the the analytics stuff, and I don't know what goes into all these algorithms. And again, I'm not saying there isn't value, but the idea that someone views this as not a t- like, I don't know how you can't look at this team if you watched them, if you actually did your homework and watched the games. I don't know how you can look at this team and say that's not a top ten team coming into the year, and frankly, the favorite in the Big East. Um, and and I think we get so caught up with the freshmen and the transfers and the this and the that. And I get it. I'm one of the guys as guilty as anybody. I love freshmen and transfers and all that stuff. Never forget four starters back off a team that was really good last year. A couple key pieces back from injury, an impact transfer that doesn't have to be the guy. I just really like this team a lot. Yeah. And a common argument we've heard throughout the offseason was Creighton at no point last year was ranked in the top 20 of Ken Palm. And while you could look at that and say, okay, maybe there's some validity to it, I think what you have to realize is basically every team that was ranked in the top 20 of Kempom, they're probably losing at least one or two players to the NBA, which is going to make a big difference. And Creighton, on the other hand, they're getting better, maybe. They bring back just about everyone, and they get uh, Sharif Mitchell healthy, and they add Baylor Shireman, which is a, a big impact transfer. So w- when I look at that argument, I just say, okay, Creighton, they just have more returning talent and experience. And again, last year, I think if they could, if God forbid they uh, beat Kansas, maybe they could go, could have gone on a deep run to the final four for all we know. There weren't many teams that were playing better uh, than the Blue Jays last year to end the season. And they played Kansas tougher than, than, Miami did in the lead eight. They played Kansas tougher than Villanova did in the final four. And I know Villanova was down Justin Moore at that point, but uh, like, it's just, they were really good and they were really confident. And they have the other thing too, is like they have NBA players. Like it, it's one thing if you return four starters and you got hot, hot late in the year and whatever you're, uh, you know, you're, you're Vanderbilt, you know, it's like, and okay, you got a bunch of dudes that are just good college players, or you're one of these big 10 teams that doesn't recruit. And like, again, I don't mean to belabor the point. Arthur Kalum is going to play in the NBA. Trey Alexander, I would guess at some point is going to play in the NBA. Baylor Shireman almost went to the NBA rather than staying in college this year. You got NBA dudes on this team. You're back. The pieces fit, which I think is important. Most of these guys have played together. We talked about that a little bit with Texas. These are all variables that actually do matter. Like I know everyone wants to play sports on a spreadsheet, right? I get all that. Our boy, Brandon Staley, he just wants to play Dave Roberts. I live in LA. They just want to play baseball on a spreadsheet. When the games actually happen, these pieces fit. The players know each other. I just can't speak highly enough of this team. Yeah. Aaron Boone here in New York is another guy. that. There you go. Category. But um, by the way, quickly, Kaluma in that round of 32 game against Kansas last year, 24 points and 12 rebounds. So I think he'll be ready to go uh, by the time this season kicks off. But AT, we've had on a lot of different teams here uh, on College Hoops Daily Podcast. Before we get out of here, I'll ask you, uh, any other things you wanted to hit on uh, from results around the country uh, this past weekend? Because we know uh, we had a lot of them. Last one. I'll give you one team to keep an eye on. This is my like official, they're better than people realize. And I think like smart college basketball people realize TCU beat somebody by 70 this week. Okay. And so I'm just going to give you the quick rundown. TCU remember played Arizona down to the wire, questionable call late in the second round, round of 32 last year, they return everybody. Okay. Talk to one of their assistant coaches in the off season. He goes, you know, we spend most of the summer, most years kind of implementing our offense, our defense, our this, or that these guys know it. He goes, when they scrimmage, they want to freaking kill each other because there's no, like, there's no, I, we, it's just, you know, throwing red meat to a lion. And so 
TCU returns everybody. By the way, another team, Mike Miles, their their point guard is a potential NBA player. So it's not as though it's just a bunch of good college players. They won by 70 this week. And then, you know, I saw a report. I don't, I think it's accurate, but they played Alabama in in an exhibition. I like Alabama actually coming into the year. But the report was that literally Alabama had to call a players only meeting after the scrimmage because TCU beat them so bad. So I'm just telling you, I know they're not sexy. I know they don't move the needle. They don't have a crazy social media fan base, but like TCU's this team that, that I think, and, and I haven't looked enough at their schedule yet to know, are they going to have these marquee games where the national audience is on them? But they're one, I, I think they started in the, the late teens in the AP poll. I think we could look up in, you know, second week in December, they're nine or 10 and oh, number two, number three in the country. That's just a team for me to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up, them up because I actually think there's some parallels with them and Creighton. And it's funny Great because call. one of uh, TCU's players, Fran Farabello, he actually transferred to Creighton. And I think he'll have a pretty big role for the Blue Jays this year. But looking at TCU's schedule now, nothing major. They do have a home game against Providence. Uh, that should be a good game in, in late November. But yeah, I think they, they were so close to beating Arizona last year. And they're another team. As you said, they return just about everyone. I think Jamie Dixon is an underrated coach. The people who really follow the sport know uh, all the good work he was able to do at Pitt. And they also know that TCU basketball, they haven't really had a ton of success. It's one of the harder jobs in the Power Five. And the fact that Jamie Dixon had them in the round of 32, very close to getting uh, to the Sweet 16 last year, that was very impressive. And I agree. I know the Big 12 has been really good. It's been the best conference in college basketball over the course of the last few years. And I think it will be good this year. I just think the top might not be as good as everyone is real, as, as everyone sees it. And I think TCU actually could be a team that takes advantage of that. But AT, I've had a great time here on the College Hoops Daily Podcast breaking down all of these exhibition game results. And it's pretty crazy because – even though they did happen in their games, their exhibition games, we know that the, we can't take everything away uh, from these results. We can't make all these major conclusions. But once the games get going in just about a week, we will. And that's going to be super exciting to break everything down here on the College Hoops Daily Podcast. So, uh, AT, thank you so much for joining me and uh, can't wait to do this again. Thank you, Zach. Uh, it was fun. And yeah, man, we're we're so close and I'm really excited. And First day is a little slow, but knock on wood, I'll be at that aircraft carrier game. And then from there, it's going to be go time and and it's going to get crazy really quick. Absolutely, dude. Thanks for joining me.